0: Can I it? We'll give
1: it up? Stephen Kellogg welcome to the podcast great to be here <laughs> uh, I'm psyched to have you uh, we our paths have crossed over the decades you are a singer songwriter touring musician uh, you've done a TED talk you've written a book and I recently saw that you tried your hand at, at stand-up so you're a you're a man of, of many talents and uh creative desires through various mediums. Uh but I like to start these conversations with maybe a record growing up that really spoke to you, or or what was the music that was played in your home when you're growing up and, and kind of when you started to come online and recognize music for something other than something that just happens in the background? Sure. Well, you
2: know, the album that comes to mind for me is Cat Stevens' Tea for the Tillerman record because that was the one that my parents gave me the cassette and I went to bed listening to that a lot. And at family parties, a bunch of those songs, Father and Son and Where Do the Children Play, would get played. If you listen to that album, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a sweet album. It's a very melancholy album. And I'm kind of wondering if that if that tape resonated with me because I was already predisposed to sort of melancholia or did that was I like this bright little happy kid and they like just fed me this stuff until I like forever would have the blues like and I can't really answer that question entirely but I always felt like even as a kid, that that was a great, insightful record. And uh, and when I listen to it now, I'm like, damn, this is, this is pretty sad stuff to, like, to think of a little person ingesting constantly, but I did take it in a lot. I mean, it was like, it was a security blanket.
0: It's not time to make a change. Just relax, take it easy.
3: You're still
0: young, that's your fault There's so much you have to know Find a girl, settle down If you want, you can marry Look at me I am old, but I'm happy
1: And was that uh, impetus to pick up an acoustic guitar? Or how did you get how did you find your instrument what was that process like
2: yeah a little bit i mean i i saw my uncles i said my dad's brothers played these songs and and the, the things the thing is a lot of those songs on that album are pretty easy to play you know they're four chords five chords not particularly fast tempo riff driven music so it did give me a sense that music was an of the people thing like something you could just it didn't you didn't have to be a genius to make music and that is an important lesson i got from that and have uh run with my whole life you know but then my sister took me to see white snake when i was 10 and i was like that the showmanship and the excitement of rock and roll kind of t- took hold of my attention and so you know, for, it's always, it's kind of been a running joke, like that it's, if you look at who I am and how I present as an artist, there is a little bit of White Snake meets Cat Stevens in there, you know, it's like, hey, look at these fancy duds I put on to sing you this pretty folky music. Like it's kind of, you know, so I think that was, that was a motivation for a while, you know, was how do you fuse these two sides of the entertainment and the, you
1: know, the heartfelt song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. That's when I'm describing your music to friends, I often say it's white steak, white snake meets. Cats. I think that that's pretty,
2: <laughs> I'm sure you do. Well, uh, yeah, you know,
1: that's the, that's the thing. It's, it,
2: it doesn't, it doesn't quite feel right. But I, I think uh, if you look at the launch point, you know, that did, that did make it make a little bit of a, it was a moment. I like the spirituality the non-denominational spirituality that was in that Cat Stevens record too, of like trying to make sense of our existence and, you know, that, that little philosopher stuff, I think got in there too, that music should, uh, I watched that Jason Isbold documentary this week. And he said, if I was making people dance, I don't think I'd worry so much about prepositions, you know, and, and I, that really resonated with me. It's like, you know, it, it, I never felt like I had the best voice or was going to be a great virtuoso on the guitar. So it was kind of like, can I generate a philosophy and words? That became really important, you know, to like, how to, that's going to be one of our aces that we can hone and develop and play. And, and, uh and I, and that, but, you know, I didn't realize all that till way later, but it, but that was, it definitely was something that, I was working somewhat subconsciously like the words have to be great because I'm not sure I can sing great, you know. Huh. huh. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um but so yeah, that was the launch point for me. What was it for you?
1: Uh well, it's it's funny that you that you mentioned, you know, um being able to relate to music on a level where you know, I can see it's an acoustic guitar. It doesn't look like he's shredding or she is shredding. I think I can play that. I can definitely sing in that register. Like I definitely have like a, like a James Taylor for me was big. I could, I could sing it relatively close to how he is singing it. Um, and it didn't sound like he was doing super complicated things. And I mean granted I, that's all not true I mean what he does on the guitar is really unique and and I know
2: once you get in there you're like oh crap this is this music sounds like that cat stevens record but
1: it's much more like what and then here like whoa yeah but but I had a very similar experience in that you know when I first heard prince I was like what is this how do I sing like this and and the realization or steely dan for that matter it's like I don't know how they're making these sounds I don't i don't think i'll ever be able to make those sounds but something was very alluring and yeah the the showmanship of it the 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 virtuosity of of the presentation i mean it was just like holy moly what how will i ever be able to accomplish something like that but it was also inspiring in a way um so yeah i would i would say that that uh you know for me it would be it would be james taylor and and and, and steely dan and how do i fit in here now you know um but james taylor and steely dan that's almost like white snack and (laughs) cat stevens
2: i mean that's like a different pedigree but it's got a similar like you're gonna take these two seemingly unrelated artists and right use them
1: so when uh when did you pick up the guitar and and start to write songs and think about songs creating songs well so this is interesting because
2: it was really what I picked up was notebooks, like journals and stuff. And I started doing words were always around phrases, as long as I can remember, Mm. phrases would be there, something would happen, and I would think of a line. And I didn't really know what that was about. Until maybe middle school, I was like, Oh, maybe I should start writing these down. So I started filling up notebooks with like, words, and then Got in a band as a singer, but not really a guitarist freshman year. Uh, And that was more common then. Like now you're somewhat expected to play an instrument as well. But I was really just the singer in the band. Um, And where did you grow up? I I saw you were born in Pennsylvania, but ultimately... Southern Connecticut, which is close to New York, affluent uh, area. uh, Although not all the towns I lived in were the affluent ones, but it was like you know, a lot of like, what are you really going to do when you grow up? You know, you got to have fallbacks and you kind of adapt that because you're not some kid crushing it on an instrument or something. Uh, and I, I've sort of, a lot of what I've done in my life is tried to just push against that whole mindset of needing to go around telling people, what are you really going to do or whatever? It's like, you will self-select out of, of being an artist. If you're inclined to like nobody does this who's not truly called to do it it's not like you kind of you just you just can't imagine any other option so you do it and and i uh got in a band in high school played you know wrote wrote in my journals and eventually started learning guitar but even as late as going to college i didn't think i was going to bring a guitar i was like should i bring this or not Hmm. And thank goodness I brought it because it became a big connector and it made me, I, I just played a lot more guitar. Cause it was like, Oh, I can write songs on this. And, and really was able to be, as I got better at the guitar was much more able to write more songs and stuff. Uh, and then I kind of tapped out at about 21. I got about as good as I'm probably going to get on the guitar and I've been steady for 25 years since then. But you know. oh, <laughs> yeah, that was, that was that, but I had a big surge in guitar between like 17
1: and 21, where I became like a, a passable rhythm player, you know? Well, and what was the decision to go to UMass? Because that's where our paths cross for the first time. Really? God, Brian, you got to. How have I? I don't feel
2: like I'd have our history down accurately, but uh, okay. <laughs> so UMass wasn't going to go there, was going to go to UMaryland. But I had been with my wife, we met in high school, and she at the last minute decided instead of going to Loyola, Maryland, that she was going to go to Providence College. So I wild-eyed looked around where I had been accepted that would be closer to Providence College. Um, now, this is a gamble that we'd all be horrified if our kids were making, uh, you know, like, I'm going to go wherever my girlfriend's going. But it worked out in our case, and I married her, and we're, we have our own kids now together. And, and, uh, and interestingly, my oldest is going to be going to university of Maryland next year. So that's all the whole things. But so I went to UMass and that was my, my grandparents lived in Amherst. Um, so I got to know them much better and they were really fascinating people and, uh, Western mass, you know, I had some extended family there. So that, that decision was one of the, best I mean UMass was a great place to be it was great for me
1: agreed and uh um we we were in a battle of the bands together it was your band trick knee yes and, um my band at the time I believe was flying lessons maybe it was something different I
2: wait okay so and you and I talked about this in December again so because that we were all in that battle of the bands. You were in flying lessons. Yeah, I remember
1: flying lessons. I have a a, a, a flyer with like our bands. That must be it. Must be. It. But I don't think either of. I we certainly didn't win. I think Trick Knee, got. Oh, first I didn't place. win. You got second place, and uh, I remember you had you know long hair, kind of like a hippie vibe, like a jam band vibe, right? Yeah, yeah. Like you in the movie before you cut your hair in your movie, we actually modeled it after college age uh, Stephen Kellogg. It looked
2: looked like, here's something I got to say. I was excited when I heard you guys had made a movie, the poster that you made for the independence looked great. I don't know how, maybe I just didn't
1: like, I don't know how it took me as long as it did to figure out where I could watch it. Well, it wasn't exactly an easy thing. It wasn't like on Netflix. You had to know.
2: But I'm sure you guys must have felt like you were shouting out. You're like, we made a movie. We made a movie. Hey, everybody, we made a movie. And what I think is so amazing is that then when I watched it, when I finally watched it and it's so good and you all do such a great job playing essentially yourselves, but like it's such a compelling story. And it's so well acted and well shot. I just like if it had been a documentary, I would have been excited and enjoyed that. But to see like this great indie flick that kind of reminds me of the Brothers McMullen or some of those other neat indie movies over time. You you, once, you know, watch this movie, this triumph of a thing that must have just been so much effort on all your parts. And I thought they did this. And it took me, who's a fan and like a friend a, a year and a half to watch it or something like that. Just like, what does that say about how busy and distracted and how much is going on that someone can be like, I made a movie. I did all this and I'm just asking my friends to take an hour and 29 minutes to like watch the movie. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll try to get to that. Like for you had to do all that. And all I have to do is take an hour and 29 minutes. And it takes a year and a half because I get frustrated when I'm like, I read, I wrote a book, like, how can you not have checked it out yet? But like then when I thought you made a movie, this incredibly quick, palatable, great job, wins awards, everything. And it takes someone who is all in your corner and interested a year and a half to pay attention. Like it's an uphill battle to promote things, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you get what i'm saying i mean it just feels amazing to me to have done something as substantial as a movie
1: yeah yeah it well i i'm not the best person to to talk about it but it, i can say you know it, it was it was a labor of love it was a ton of work but it was so much fun i mean it was basically you know a bunch of friends horsing around in front of cameras you know uh which isn't so different than what we normally do um but it it was an interesting process um and a ton of fun, and, and I would I would do it again tomorrow for sure. Um, but anyway. You see
2: Rich's butt right at the beginning? Because I watched it again. Kirsten and I watched it, my wife and I, and she was like, he gets up in here, his ass is hanging out there right at the top of the movie. And, and I'm like, was, you already won. Look at was, this.
1: <laughs> that was like one of the very first scenes that, that was shot, period. And it was the first scene when I got to set uh, – I walk in and, and they're like powdering Rich's butt. I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> it's so great. Yeah,
0: anyway.
2: I can't, I mean, I'm, I will continue to share because I just I just can't believe how, like, like something that great pieces of art can sort of like struggle to get more eyeballs or ears on them. Like it's, I, I should know better by now, but it's like, damn, you know, like this is, that's, you will have that for the rest
1: of your life. Something to be very proud of. Yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um. So, all right. So after college, what, uh, I know that you kind of stuck in the area because then uh, you were working for Iron Horse Entertainment. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. And I per- booking and, and that sort of thing. Or what was your...
2: Yeah. I, I, I kind of ran through all the jobs pretty quickly there, but I started initially I was selling tickets in the kiosk at the mall that they had at Thorns Market. That's I would... I mean, that was, I remember calling my mom and being like, I'm a caged animal. I can't like, it was, that was hard to go from like doing pretty damn well in college to like selling tickets. But, but it was an avenue into an organization where I did go in and learn. And then I went and worked for the publicist and then eventually ended up in the booking office and, and learned a tremendous amount and then hosted the open mic, which in hindsight, You know, you had Josh Ritter, the Weepies, Lori McKenna. Um, You had great, great talent kind of coming through there each month Mm -hmm. as, and we all just were in it together, starting out, hanging out, seeing what's going to happen. That was at the Iron Horse, right? Or Mm -hmm. there was the Iron Horse, but we also at that time that the same guy owned Pearl Street Nightclub and the Calvin Theater. And, you know, I have a, a famous memory of being sent to promote a show for Allison Krause out at the Orpheum in Boston and we b- bought all this seafood for them and put it downstairs set it up and Allison herself came and got me and was like yeah there's some there's actually quite a few mice all over the food but we had spent like 1500 cash of our boss's money and now like And so, and I'm really afraid of mice. And so Shady, who went on to be my tour manager for the last 20 years was an intern at the time. And I was like, please, can you help me? And he had to go down with a broom and like, you know, it's like in that moment, you didn't realize that you were sealing like one of your biggest lifelong friendships was happening in this particular moment of hilarity and
1: early career work, you know? Well, I, I, just speaking of, like, green rooms, uh, I I spent some time in the green room at, at the Iron Horse, and that was that was quite a place. Yeah, it was quite a place. There's nowhere to go to the bathroom, which is... You had to wait in the line, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, you get, like, Dave Brubeck in to do a show, and the guy's got to, like, stand in line with everybody coming to take a leak. It's, uh, <laughs> I don't know in heaven there will be bathrooms in all the
1: venues yeah exactly exactly so what so what you start to make records and and start to tour this is what late late 90s uh yeah
2: yeah like like i graduated in 98 spent like three four years working in aspects of the business got a gig at a steakhouse playing like three hours a night and it was just enough money to 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 say I think I'm gonna like leave this other thing and and pursue it and stars kind of aligned you know I mean I I, I a lot I got some opportunities uh, played with uh, Sally Taylor who's the daughter of James Taylor and Carly Simon and she took me on tour awesome and James was there the second night he was in the front row. Exactly. It was terror i was awful god it was so nerve-wracking and then the next night carly simon night after that jimmy buffett was there it was like and I, and I and there's no cell phones so you're not you're not taking pictures you just i'm just calling my wife from a payphone like you're not gonna believe who was there tonight like you know hey Stephen, this is jimmy buffett i'm like hi jimmy buffett you know uh, <laughs> uh so a lot of a lot of memories a lot of just learning how it goes getting around um and then uh the the next really big thing that happened was i i became friendly somehow with rich price Mm
0: -hmm.
2: and uh rich and i played together at joe's pub in new york city and his manager steve bersky was there and approached me and said you know do you have management and and i did but it was not a super serious situation and and so Steve and I ended up working together and right around the time Rich had signed with Kef and I signed with Universal and say what you will about big labels, like it was nothing. It, I just got opportunities that it, even though those things on paper were failures, it, like it just totally changed the the out, the out trajectory of my life. You know, it was like
1: I I was going to do, I have been doing this ever since, you know. It's around this time that our paths cross again um i think i was buddies with kit and you had a gig somewhere in hartford and i went down with him uh to see you and rich and i don't know if it was a co-bill or he had his band or you had your band or whatever but we were in the in the green room and true to rich price uh fashion he comes in and he's like all right well what song are we going to do together you know and then you guys are running down cover tunes can we do this one can we do this one and then, and I was like oh I didn't even know that that you can have that approach to a show. I always thought it had to be this kind of defined thing, this planned set list, here's the thing, this is what we, you know. And you guys were just like all right, well uh well, let's do it in G. Okay, let's uh, you know. And I was just yeah. rather inspired as a as uh, as a budding songwriter and and performer uh to to witness cool. that interaction. So um, That's very cool. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love that. I love that about rich too we would yeah we uh you know one of the one of the, one of the more meaningful songs especially in the early catalog for me it was one to start the day early that yeah. you and i have to played together and rich i mean we wrote that thing in eight minutes and then opened with it that night
0: well i'm gonna start the day early maybe like a rocket on fire Then I'm going to write me a thousand songs. And I am never, ever, ever going to die. You bring the cup and I bring the moonshine. I won't fill you up and babe, won't you be mine. But I'm going to knock them all down.
1: Yeah, that's that's totally rich. Yeah, like that's rich to a T. So yeah, well, there's something.
0: It's like
2: a get out of jail free card. You know, it's stressful to play songs that you should know well because you're just you don't have anything to gain from playing them well again. You know, but there's something like you get this chance when a song is brand new to dare to be great situation to just take it out and play it and not overthink it and uh, yeah. I've like lost a little, I I still put the show together every night, but I've, I've lost a little bit of that spirit. And I, I find myself wanting to, it's there. I you just have to tap back into like, you know, not needing things to be perfect, you know, allowing them to be unfinished or, you know, raw and really just like let them unfold and see, with stories too just like just talk about things you're interested in talking about and maybe it comes off and maybe it doesn't
1: but nobody gets hurt you know well i i when we did the run when we opened up for you in in december you i think it was in in burlington <clears throat> where it was like a meet and greet beforehand and and people could ask you know can you play this tune can you play this tune and you know from your older catalog of songs and i, I was in the audience just checking everything out and and you start to play it, and you're like, "Hold on a minute! I think I have a songbook." And you and you had Shady go get the songbook, and he'll get it on the show. you're like, "Oh, yeah, I remember now." So I think Unbelievable. that Unbelievable. spirit of of you know uh, spontaneity is still there in you. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. I like to I like to keep pushing it because those those were good times when we would like write things just to show just to prove we could write something and play it that night. It was cool, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: Hey there! I am Boomer, and I'm Pixie Ola. Our podcast, Service Entrance People, is for and about the gritty, underpaid, underprivileged service industry workers of the world. Unite! Day in and day out, we walk through the parking lot of broken dreams. So, if you're interested in listening and sharing in the war stories of the the industry, and if you're curious as to what us the help are really thinking, we are going to make you with stories of the strange, shocking, and hilarious because. Laughing is the only way that we can think to even try to get our ways through each day.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This industry is one that we absolutely, truly
2: love. And although you'll hear horror stories and rants and bitching that we have to work at work because that's the
0: kind of petty betty that we are, we kid because we care.
3: You can find service entrance people on all major platforms as well as YouTube and would like to say thank you for tuning into my friend Brian Chartrand and the So The Story Goes podcast. I've known him for longer than he or I would admit. And yes, he is that cool in real life. What's up, y'all? My name is Tanner Sigfort, owner of Groove Booking, and I have a podcast called Great Exposure. First of all, thanks for listening to So the Story Goes. Brian is a great guy, a friend, and this is a fantastic and very well-done podcast. The title of my podcast, Great Exposure, is a play on the term us musicians have always heard when being lowballed for a gig followed by, but this gig is Great Exposure. I am a professional musician and booking agent, and through the years I've met so many amazing entertainers. I created this podcast to have open-format conversations with the artists and DJs I have the pleasure of working with. Being that my guests are always artists of some sort, we typically talk about music and the industry. However, sometimes we get on long, drawn-out conversations about very random topics, and that's where I really get to see their personalities shine. And I get to know them on a deeper level than just their music careers. And that is my favorite part of the show. I appreciate Brian featuring this out on his podcast, and I really hope you enjoy Great Exposure. Available on Spreaker, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Now, back to So The Story Goes.
1: So, all right, so you you, you signed to Universal, and what, they, they throw you out opening for various acts. You, you, is this your first kind of dose of touring?
2: Yeah, I, my first Osatorian had come because we got into that college network where nobody would be at the shows, but there were colleges willing to pay you 500 bucks to, to you know, so we just drove around playing colleges. And so every so often there'd be a good one. But more than anything, it was a chance to get paid to practice and make some fans. And, and uh, so we did that, and that allowed me to kind of hire kit and boots and have a band and kind of start figuring out who we wanted to be in the world. And then and then we made the record. And I think, you know, there's so much pret you feel. I wish, I love to meet young artists and kind of remind them to be themselves, you know, and not like, if you take someone's money to make music with, you've got to let them weigh in, but ultimately they've hired you to like be, they see something in you that they think could be appealed to a lot of people so it's like but i think what ends up happening is you feel the pressure you want to please them you try to please everybody and you 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 buckle under the pressure i know that was certainly to some degree what happened with me you know i just i felt so much like oh now we have to be more this or that and you're trying to serve so many masters and and uh so we just toured to just show that we could work really hard you know um and you end up treating it a little bit like a test you have to pass instead of like the glorious opportunity that it is to like what can we create you know what can we do that might blow our own minds um, and we got a reputation as a band that could work extremely hard uh, and that's not a bad thing, but it's, it, it also, I don't know, you know, like, thankfully, we made a lot of good art. I just wish, I wish in the, but from that ages of like, we're talking from being signed t- 2005, to when sort of the last label dissipated for me in like 2016, we'll call it. So you got a decade there of Amazing work, a lot of output, but always with the fear that if you don't do something great, somebody's going to tell you you did a bad, and instead you just end up trying to please everybody, and you get more work that ends up in the middle than I would have it. You know, it should have been more like, what should we do next? What's going to be fun? Let's make an acoustic album. Now let's make a full rock album. How can we make this... You know, like there's there's some of the some of the enjoying the moment
1: that didn't always happen that I wish could have. You know, well, and and Rich's question, I guess this is the the best place to to pose it is is basically, you know, knowing what you know now, if you were given a, a like a major label opportunity, you know, what would you do differently knowing knowing you're a better songwriter and and maybe having a clearer vision and 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 a sense of self, let's say would anything would would that opportunity be appealing to you? Yeah, I love the
2: question so thank you Rich for the question and thank you, Brian for shepherding it through um <clears throat> I would love that opportunity, you know uh, and here's why I, I I feel like one of the funnest moments of anything is is the anticipation, you know it's like, It's when you know you're going to sit down to a great meal or you're going to, you know, like it's before anything has happened and you just get to dream. And if I had a a label, say you have X amount of dollars, you get an opportunity here, you know, and we're going to help you promote it and everything. I, I think what I would do is sit down and try to create a situation where we could. I'd ask myself the question, I always ask myself, what do I have to say at this moment in my life? Uh, And I have a bunch that I would like to say. And then I would, I would try to stretch that money out to allow myself a place where I could keep going until I have 10 really sturdy, meaningful things in any format, you know, it would start with like a a big dinner with wine with my manager and who should we produce this with who should play on it you know should we do this acoustic should we should we try to capture it live should we you know what things do we need to say and then i would savor it you know i would savor each step of that like and and then i would trust my own gut if if i if i hear a song that i go this is isn't moving. This, I don't feel moved when I hear this. I wouldn't be like, well, maybe I'm wrong. Let's see. I would go, no, no, shelf this. That's fine. We did that work because that's leading us to something else. And I would stay on that trail and I'd stretch the money long enough to stay on that trail until we have 10 things, you know, and maybe we get them quick. Maybe we'd have to shelve 10 songs. I don't know, but I do know that I've never put something out and been like, Oh, my God, everybody loved it. And I didn't think that was going to happen. Like, that's not how it works. It's more like, this is a really good song. And I don't think we got all of it. But I don't have the discipline or the money to go. Oh, let's, let's, let's set up and try again, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think knowing what I know now, I would know when to trust myself, and how to surround myself with people who are likely to create that great situation, you know, Hmm. Um, you can't be afraid to start again, you know, sometimes you work really hard on something, it just doesn't come off. And you go, is it the song? Is it the key? Is it the arrangement? Is it just the recording, you know, and then you you know, those things don't feel personal anymore. They feel like decisions that if you have discipline, and maturity and a commitment to your art, you can dole them out, you know, and that would be fun to actually have resources and that
1: know how, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, that sounds like a wonderful luxury.
2: (laughs) I mean, and, 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 you know, Petty has a great quote where he's just like, people don't really care, like what went into it. They want it. They care, like how the song they're hearing back makes them feel. It's a little scary because sometimes you go into the recording and you're like hoping to have fun and sometimes good recordings aren't fun and sometimes really fun sessions don't make good recordings there's like a whole bunch of but you do want to you do you do want to like make a memory and have an adventure while you're doing it and learn something and and uh a few years back i i made a five song part of a record with gregory allen isakov producing and he's he's great that dude's like amazing and and he's makes these gorgeous recordings himself. And so I just got to look at his process. And as he's gotten bigger and bigger as an artist, people occasionally reach out to me and they're like, what's, you know, what's the process? And it's like, you know what the process is, is he is not afraid to start again. I mean, that guy will finish a recording that he's gotten all the way there it sounds really good. And if he decides it's a little slow, like, he just starts the whole thing again. It's not like, let me put it in the computer and manipulate it to within an inch of its life. It's like, you know, and he lives on a farm. And they stop recording to eat eggs that his chickens hatch and shit. It's like, his music sounds the way it sounds for a reason. They put, have put, that's what they're cooking up, you know? It doesn't mean you can't use click tracks and you got to do everything on analog. But if you want that thing that he's doing that's how you do that Mm. you know so you think about like what do i want this to sound like and then how do i make that happen it's like it seems remarkably simpler than it did to me 20 years ago you know Mm. you just gotta like do what you want to do you know and search until you find it Uh, and people bail on things all the time they get well we've worked so hard so it has to be over well if you're if you're done with it you may not have anything else to bring to it but like Hard work isn't a bad thing. It's okay to have to to work and be like, "Do you have any more ideas?" No, neither do I. Okay, maybe we just need to set this one down for now.
1: You know, mm-hmm. is there a track uh, from that, um, is there a track from that session that that you want to rap about? One that, kind of a standout. Um. Well, I really like a bunch of the the songs on
2: that. I mean, the recording. I think that is kind of i think that there's one called wallpaper angel that we actually like wrote together um where that always felt like i don't play it live very much and i'm not i i don't know if it's a great song or not but i know that uh like we got all of that song uh-huh. you know right. it's like this this is a good song at least and we made it sound like As good as it's going to sound With Stephen Kellogg singing Wallpaper Angel And that is a satisfying feeling Like, okay, cool I can live with that, you know
0: Wallpaper angel Wallpaper angel Wallpaper angel I'll never forget your smile She was fading from view when I met her and in just a few months, she was gone. I lost my perspective, like I often do. I was moving towards something that was moving on. And sometimes she still catches me off guard. When the sky's like a silver screen. The girl with the fiddle and a broken string. When the night calls, you can still hear her sing. Wallpaper Wallpaper the big angel. song
2: on that record for me was this one. Almost Wallpaper woke you up, uh, and that was an emotional journey because I had recorded it with Kit and Chip, and I recorded it with Gregory. And I felt like both recordings were really strong, but maybe. But I still wondered: Did had we gotten all of that song? Uh, and I'm releasing another version this month with Counting Crows because we played that on tour. So it's like, cool. you know, that's a case of like, I feel like this song is really special and I'm trying to keep it in the world to see if it gets its shot. But the fact that, that no version has ever totally gotten it done uh, makes me think like, is there a recording out there that would make that song go further,
0: you know? Hey, darling. Notice that you're still sad. It's written on your forehead that you get no peace either when you sleep, and that's not fair. I wish you could see this light that surrounds you in the night, and I almost. So perfect since the day I met you. That was it, I just know. But how do we get well when we hurt like oh. you? Damn, if I know. I also think that
1: a good song can be done in, in a variety of ways, right? I mean, it. it a good song, you know, you could make it a dance tune. You could, you could really strip it down and kind of give it a, a country or bluegrass feel. Like good songs uh, are versatile in that way, you know. So, and I, I agree. Yeah, I'm not scared of of, of that approach. I, I like that approach, and I think that that um, that's something that the Sweet Remains has been. Uh, it's something that I learned from the Sweet Remains because we can't always necessarily reproduce. The studio version of said song so we have to kind of rethink it but if it's good it it translates you know and that's and that's fun for me because it it just gives you a minute to look at it from a different at from a different perspective
2: yeah yeah totally get that i I mean that totally tracks yeah what um yeah what was the impetus for the for the ted talk the ted talk came um i had been asked by the woman who was curating this TED, the TEDx out for Concordia U in in Oregon, uh, and she asked me in 2012, and I just couldn't make it work. We had too many things going on. And then she asked me again the next year. I like TED talks, so I was interested and flattered to be asked. But I, um, in 2013, you know, my band of ten years, the Sixers, had just broken up. And I actually really had some time to think about, like, because they say, like, if they call it the TED commandments, but it's like, how do you get to your talk of a lifetime, you know, and it's a lot of pressure. And I I felt like I actually had some time and that would be a cool project to kind of wrap my head around at a moment when I was, you know, I was I was definitely hurting, you know, it was scary to, to is it all going to be OK? I've spent 10 years with the same guys, guys who I loved then and now, you know, and, and not knowing that things were about to change. It was great to get to do that. And although that didn't happen overnight, getting to do that one talk and realize that, that I got a lot of the same thrill from connecting with people as a speaker that I would get as a musician. Um, And I felt in some ways more comfortable as a speaker, as a musician, I often feel deficient as a speaker, I feel pretty damn comfortable, like with w- the way that I'm communicating with people. So uh, I I've, I think I think that opened the door. And I've done a lot of speaking in the 10 years that followed on different topics. I, I think I think there are parts of that talk that I have rethought and would change. Hmm. But I'm but but I still that was like, you know, that's that first that's like having a a little hit on your first album that kind of allows you to open the door that you might not have otherwise opened. And so the talks have gotten better since then, but that was, that's still to this day, the most like well-captured publicly formatted kind of
1: talk that I've given. Uh, You mentioned the Sixers uh, and another time our paths crossed was in Arizona. You uh, we're playing the. I think you were playing Cave Creek Coffee Company, uh, C Four up in Cave Creek. Yep. And um, I went and saw that show, uh, and then we went uh, back to wherever you were staying. And this is the first time that I that I I became aware of uh, a rider. And uh, I was like, what do they keep? What do they keep talking about? Like, what the hell is a rider? And we go back to this place where you're staying. And on your writer, you had, uh, I want a, I want a paperback of a classic novel.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: We still have that.
2: Well, it doesn't have to be classic novel. It says history, biography, or, or classics is what we prefer. Yeah. And And everybody thinks they'll be cute and frequently gives us like the history of, homer new york and you're like would you want to read this come on like yeah but we figured if we're going to ask people for stuff we might as well ask people for like stuff that we'll use other than just alcohol like we were if we're going to do this we need things other than alcohol and cheese and crackers because yeah
1: so can you talk about uh can you talk about what happened to the Sixers. Like, was it was it just it had run its course? Were people getting restless and wanting to do other things? I mean, it, I've been in enough bands to know that, that it's a marriage, you know, and communication, expectations, these things are very important to be able to communicate and be on the same level. And is everyone still invested the way we were five years ago or 10 years ago? Can you speak to that process at all? And maybe... You know something that you've learned over the years on how to keep a band together
2: yeah well i love the line in in your movie in the independence when when greg says you know it's a a polygamous marriage or whatever you know when he's in the van with rich and he's talking about what happened to his band and that line really it resonated because it is you know you are trying to keep a very intimate relationship together with a with many people And for a lot of reasons, the years that we were together, 25 to 35, those are pretty good years to take your shot. You know, there's no rules, but those are good years where people haven't fully shaped their own. You know, they may not, again, there's no, there's exceptions, but there, but we were still young enough that it didn't feel completely reckless to make $350 a week, you know, when we first went out on the road, that was our weekly salary that we each paid ourselves, you know, it's like, we're making 350 a week. And we felt like, wow, we're really doing it, you know, like, this is enough to pay our rents and stuff. And it and you start there. Um, and I think, you know, just the thrill of it was so great. And, and I'll, I'll answer sort of what happened as I see it and then tell you what I think maybe could keep things together best. But I, I I think, you know, and this is just my opinion. If you ask Boots or Kit or Sam or anybody else who was in the band, they may have a different take on it. I'm sure they would, but um, I think you get to a place in a band where you have to, you you either have to meet the moment and expectations. It's like, what is the expectation that everybody has of what this band can provide for them? And it's very hard to get a group of people to all agree on what that is. For one person, it might be, I just love playing music, and I just need to scratch that itch. For another person, it might be, I I have to, like, I have an agenda of what I need to put in the world. And if I don't get to be that original artist, I'm never going to be satisfied in my life. Uh, for another person, it might be like, if I can't support my new wife or husband, then I'm then this isn't working, you know? So first of all, you're trying to line up your needs and your stuff. And the older we got and the more, you know, we, we, we knew more and more what it took to be great, but if you don't get big enough, you don't have the resources any longer pumping in to make that happen. It's like, you know that you need to be on a tour bus to not be shot and exhausted. But if you don't aren't drawing enough people or selling enough records to finance that, it starts to get where you're like diminishing returns. You just can't sustain the level that you have arrived at. When you're young, everybody's a little more game to just swing and take a shot, you know? And I think what happened with our band is we knew that we had to be better than we'd ever been. We needed better songs. We needed better presentation. And we put a lot in the last couple of years before we split, we put a ton of energy into improving, like listening to so many tapes, playing with a click track in our ears and You know what's awesome is the tapes do reveal a ton of growth and we ended at a place where the group had never sounded better we knew how to function we knew how to show up at a venue um and we actually had our best drawing tour ever at the end you know it's like we were kind of firing on pretty good pistons but it took a lot out of us because for 10 years Largely on my vision, I'm going just hang in there, guys, just stay with it. We're going to get there. We're going to do that. And you look at it and you're making $35,000 a year after 10 years of completely working your ass off. Yeah. And I think for the guys, you know, uh, boots was making changes and kind of came and said, I, I think I got to put this down for the, for the moment. And you know, you know, I love him. So that's, that comes first. And it, but it, I, w- I didn't want him to do that. And then I said, does anybody else feel this way? And Kit said, I do. And it was kind of like, okay, well, I, I don't think that we want to keep it as the Sixers if we have two such key components missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of that's what happened, you know, but you also then carry the weight of like a marriage that had a lot of great moments and love and i look back on it as all the great shit that's kind of what i distill it down to um but there's no guarantee that that it's that way for the other guys they may look back on it uh, differently they may uh, there may be some sense and i don't blame anybody that feels this way of wow i worked really hard what did i get out of it you know um i don't feel that way you know but but what one could easily feel that way. Mm -hmm. And so to to sort of bring it all home, I think think what you can do to keep a band together is you can constantly communicate like any relationship. Where's everybody at? How's this working? Are you okay? Are you feeling okay about this? Sorry, that little ding keeps going off. Um, Let me turn the mail off. Um, But it's kind of like You don't always want to do that because you're suspicious that I think that guy's a little unhappy. And maybe if I don't, you know, and eventually what happens and this is heartbreaking to me, but it's like it's like a sprained ankle. You keep running on. If you go too long, you don't address things. I'm certain there are narratives and experiences that people have locked in and within our band and our relationships that had we communicated, if we communicated even now about them, could probably be unpacked, but it's like, ah, my freaking ankle's broken. I just don't run anymore. You know, uh, and and eventually people move on, you know, but when I play music with any of those guys at any moment, I instantly feel the connection and love I felt the first time I played with them. Uh, they're old, it's old loves that I, would love to be making music with. And with the maturity that I have now, I would, it would be a dream to go out with the Sixers now, but it's not an option. People, I mean, people have moved on and are at different places with that. So it's just like, and when people say to me, oh man, I miss the Sixers. It's like, it's like going up to your buddy and being like, I miss your ex-wife. I mean, it's like, yeah, I do too, you know, but like, I love them and you know there's hopefully they feel okay about me and it's just like and boot you know boots and sam and i still play together but not it, it'll never we won't play in that way that i can see and uh if i was in a band again if i had it to do over i would have had some conversations earlier based on spider senses and said what's everybody's expectation how are you doing is there anything I'm doing this, driving you crazy. Can I talk about something here that I think is kind of hurting me? Like if you have those conversations, you may not always love the answer, but that's the only way a band stays together that or you become really financially successful. I'm not just saying that as a joke. It's like, if you have to depend on each other, that is the glue that will hold bands together further in life. Or everybody goes, no, I'm not expecting this to support my family. It's just something we do for for to have a great time. And that can work also in keeping bands together. But in, in our case, we very much were like, we want to be, we want this to be the thing that we do. And since we couldn't quite get it over the hump to be big and successful in the way we felt, we needed to be, you know, it kind of fell apart.
1: That was a lot. I don't know if that was too long-winded or what. I loved but. it. No, I think that I think there's there's some great wisdom in there and um I know a lot of the listeners are in various stages of of their music career so I think that's all good intel uh for folks that that are curious just about, you know, being in a band for that long and and uh and what that all looks like. So Hey, can
2: I add one little thing about that with you mentioned the listeners it's like you know how when you're in a band you know your buddy clicks his teeth or something and you're in the van all day and you're like do you like you, you know when you're around people all the time in any context their little things are gonna you're gonna see them and they might be they might be annoying or whatever i think If you if you want something to work, if you want a relationship, a friendship, a band, if you want things to work, you need to remember, you have your stuff, they have their stuff, you can, it's a choice to go, yeah, you know, he, he leaves his, you know, his feet smell terrible, but I love him. So I'm going to be like, kind about this i'm going to be okay i'm going to choose to be okay with who this person is because what because the other thing about that person whose feet smell is that they sing the best high harmonies i've ever heard mm-hmm. and is what is it worth it mm-hmm. to have to to go hey you know hey johnny can you uh can, can you put your uh shoes back on for the rest of this ride but like say it lovingly like there's just it's it's about kindness it's about You know not holding everything against everybody for what they do because if they're giving if there's something great it's worth fighting for you know and that's true of a marriage that's true of a friendship that's true of being in a family um if you want to have success you need to
1: accept people not
2: as you want them to be but as they
1: are you know switching gears a little bit but this podcast started during the pandemic and uh, i really saw it as a form of therapy group therapy um connecting with people about how they stay creative during the pandemic during the lockdown when so much of what i do is was taken away um you know and some people saw that that moment as as a pause from working very hard um and other people uh, really had trouble with that, and and the inability to be who you think you need to be, aka a performer or a writer or a guitar player. Or um, how did how did that moment in time affect your creativity? did Did you notice? Did it shift to something else? Uh, were you sad and depressed like me? Like how did you how did you get through that time?
2: I uh I know I know it was hard for for some folks. Are you would are you an, an extroverted person? Are you somebody that gets energy from being around others or
1: not not necessarily, but but my job is to be in front of people. Like that's how I make my money. That's how I pay the bills is to go out and perform yeah. and and talk to people and and I wouldn't consider myself like a huge extrovert, but um it just is part of my life,
2: you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, maybe because of the length of time that I've been in motion, uh, I found, you know, human suffering aside, because that was hard and scary and that not, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish for that or anything, but I, I really, it was a great pause because I felt like I was just on the wheel of like, okay, we just tore, we just, I just do this, I do that. It's like doing the same thing over and over again, hoping that some song is gonna change my fate, you know? And and it's just, it was so great to have an enforced pause. And then all my creativity, once we figured out, hey, we can do virtual shows and I could really feel as connected to an audience, because we do meet and greets like this, like what you and I are doing, I would do little drop in interviews with my talented friends that would that we would show in the middle of my perform my virtual performances. We weren't saying, Hey, can you tip us we sold tickets, you know, and said, Hey, it's cheaper than it's ever been 30 bucks, and you get your whole family can watch and you can sit in your underwear, like, I felt like we were able to deliver a really good service to people. And I love being able to do it and then sleep in my own bed and have dinner with my kids and my family and see my wife and get enough sleep. Mm-hmm. I think that people have found me to be an edgier person than I am because I've been sleep deprived for like 20 freaking years. I mean, when I actually got enough sleep, I'm like, mm-hmm. I can handle like quite a bit of stress without, you know, like in the right context. And uh, so, and then, and then there was this huge insight of like, you can connect with people who you're not in the same space with. And conversely, you can sit next to someone and be a million miles away from them. You know, like, if I don't take this pause to look at my family and spend time with them, then I'm never really going to do it. And that's just something I'm telling myself. Mm -hmm. And those those sort of insights became really clear in the pandemic. And I thought to myself, when I go back out in the world, I wanna be braver. I wanna be more intentional than I've ever been. I wanna show up um, and try to be present with people and and not worry about it and be more open to the connection that can happen whether you're sitting there with somebody or not. So for me, it was a wildly positive growing time, but uh, I know a lot of friends, didn't experience that so that you know was a at which i felt for
1: you know and get but you were able to you know you were able to stay connected and and you were able to kind of do it on your own terms and and it sounds like um you you were able to stay connected to your profession to your art uh But then as you say, like you you could sleep in your own bed and you didn't have to travel two hours to go do the hit and blah, blah,
2: blah. I felt like a talk show host, like just working on that, we'd wake up and work on the show and we had our team working and Shady would make slides for me and I'd show them on the TV throughout the show. And it was like, it was so wonderful to just, and I felt so useful to people because there was so much bad live streaming. And we, we had figured out pretty quickly how to put something out that looked good and sounded good. And it was like, it just felt like a gift. I felt like I knew who my purpose for a year of my life, you know, like my job is to put on these shows and connect with these people while I'm with them. And Mm. it was so gratifying. And there was enough money in the bank for, you know, without the high, high overhead that the road demands, Right. I just uh, you know that was a good time and I I'm, I'm trying to create the next chapter of my life to mirror some of the things I learned in that cuz that was special
1: you know well and that and that was my next question was you know what what are kind of some next steps for you we we talked briefly about uh taking taking a little bit more time off uh, this summer but what are the things kind of on the horizon uh for you Well, I'd like to do, you know, a show that um, really is a full
2: I'd like to take the stand up and the storytelling. I mean, I love sharing stories and making people laugh. I love that as much as singing songs, if not more. So uh, and I think there's so many wonderful musicians. It's overwhelming to me. i The amount of music I hear that sounds so much better to me than my own music is just like the list is just goes on forever. So what I would like to do is take my favorite parts of the music that I make and infuse them into a larger show in the context of stories and humor and insights. And yes, there's some music, but like not thinking about it as just I have to be a singer songwriter selling somehow more tickets. Like, I just feel like I've been trying to do that particular thing for 23 years. And it's thrilling to me to realize you don't have to keep doing exactly what you've done. You can do something new, you know, is you only get this one life in this moment, like, what are you going to do with it? So that's why I'm doing the stand-up and stuff. Cause what do I have to lose? Like, just there's, there may be some little tweak that means instead of you know, playing for 150 people, I can get myself into that theater and and and, and do it for a thousand people, you know? And it works in front of a thousand people when I get the opportunity, but I'd love to get that opportunity more often, you know? I just wanna, because the connection grows exponentially, you know? You feel it like, wow, look at, look at what we all just did. That's thrilling to me. And uh, so we're taking a lot of steps to try to build that show. You know, if you build it, <laughs> my thing would be, if you build it, will they come?
1: <laughs> <What's it? laughs> so you what you you spent some time and you wrote what five minutes of of a stand up show and 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 kind of road tested it or how
2: no way more like I have so my notebooks now have this thing I don't know if you can see books stories jokes this is for like if I'm writing books if I'm telling a joke or if it's just a story and and the same way I do with lyrics I put anything that strikes me as funny from my life goes into these notebooks. And then, the last couple of years, a year and a half maybe, my set lists have the songs, but they also have a list of bits. Now, this doesn't mean I'm on some script. It just means these could be connectors between, like, oh, I'm going to play three sad songs in a row. Might be nice to share, you know, before this this one about parenting. Something kind of a little palate cleanse yeah. of one of my parenting fails, and that could be eight different stories. So stand up. I mean, I could go for 45 minutes. I just don't have connectors right now. I don't have any I don't have enough reps to go boom, boom, boom. I don't know what's funny to just people who are familiar with my music. I don't know what's actually going to be funnier to the wider world. So I'm just trying out, Mm. you know, uh, uh, the bits the hot dermatologist is one uh Greta's lucky bracelet is another you know there's one called bitch and the and the the context with in which we're allowed to use the word bitch like it's just like these are all things that are in there and I try them out in shows so I know which ones tend to work in shows but now the stand-up is going okay what happens if I put down the guitar and see you know um and uh I actually recently was lucky. You know, I got, I had I have a very passing acquaintanceship with Jim Gaffigan and, and, uh, he, I sent him a bit and was asking him a question and he called me on the phone, uh, which I picked up on a lucky whim. And I'm, he's like, Steven, it's Jim. I have five minutes. I was like, Holy crap. All right. You know, and, and a lot of it was how you put things together to help, help, you know, make it feel natural and, and all that. So, We'll see. I don't know. I'm not sure it's all going to work, Brian, but I'm just like trying to see what's there and
1: and what, what I could do, you know? Well, I can speak from experience, having done some of those shows with you in December that it, you know, you, you, you kind of dance this fine line. Like part, part of it is a comedy show. Part of it is a Ted talk. Part of it is music, but it's it's really, you have found a way to put all this stuff together to create an environment uh, that's like the joyful environment and whether Mm. people are laughing at the jokes or connecting to a very personal story which then they hear about in the song which becomes the soundtrack to this feeling i mean it's like it's really great man it's very powerful show what what you do and what you have honed over the years It, it really is impressive and inspiring and um i love that approach i love And that's another thing that I learned through The Sweet Remains and through watching your show is that so much of the charm and that really warm feeling that you get is that personal – is the banter. Like banter is almost as important in between songs. And I don't mean banter as like talking about the weather, but bringing people into your situation um, really informs how they listen. And, you know, you could – Reference a certain lyric that came from this certain experience, and maybe they had a similar experience. And that you know, I just I've been learning that over the years too. Yeah. It's so much, you know, and it's in so it's like the house concert approach. You know, you can't just in a house concert sit in the corner and play a bunch of songs and expect people to relate to them or connect or whatever. And so that's another experience that that kind of informed this thing. Well, let's let's pause. I know it's a rock show or whatever. It's a folk rock show, but let's bring them in and, and share some stories about us. And, and, you know, so anyway, but, but you, you yeah. seem to have mastered that, that whole thing. And it, and it, it's not surprising to me um, that you're very intentional about it because it, it is very good. It's a very well done show. So anyway, congratulations. That's
2: a Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and hopefully I can distill it into, you know, I mean, I, if, if, if it stayed the way it was, that would be fine, but I'm hoping to distill it into something that can like push out, push the boundaries of who we've been able to reach thus far,
1: you know? Well, I'm excited to see it, man. And, um, looking forward to whatever the next thing is for you and and hopefully sharing the stage with you again uh yeah we
2: got to do more stuff together man that was so awesome thank you guys for being there that was such a chaotic moment with the record and having the whole band on the road but we got to do more stuff together you guys are great and you sing and play and write so beautifully
1: and i'm like i can't wait to do it again do it again i know it steven i appreciate your time man enjoy the rest of your day and uh, let's keep in touch all
2: right brian have a good day bud thanks for asking me to be here
1: of course thanks for your time i'll talk to you soon see
2: you